Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 161 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Kelly Hogaboom to discuss whether the effects were needed in Night of the Demon stroke Curse of the Demon. Hello! Hello! Who is it? Well, this is our first visit to a shop, a sub-genre known as folk horror. And as we're talking horror, of course, we're talking to Kelly. Hello, Kelly. Hello. How are you today, Eric? Yeah, I just said, just as uh, just before I went to start, it's a very spooky, windy, windswept night with trees blowing outside. So entirely appropriate this side of the pond. What's the weather like over there? Is it is it night the demon style weather for you? It's not. It's sunny yeah. <laughs> and actually kind of warm. So yeah, we don't we've got uh not a not a cloud in the sky actually for the Pacific Northwest it's kind of unusual, but yeah. I th- I think um then your your location uh weather wise is where Dana Andrews took off. Yeah, and, that's right. And and when he arrives in the UK, yeah, we've got it here. All right. Mm-hmm. So that's entirely appropriate. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, as I say, this is the first time we've ever really talked about a a folk horror subject. Um to anybody listening out there that don't doesn't know what on earth I'm blathering on about, folk horror is a term I think it was Mark Gattis who 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 he didn't coin it. The actual director of uh, The Blood on Satan's Claw uh, came up with the phrase mm. back in like 72 or something like that. Um, but Mike Gattis popularized it. There was a documentary on the BBC about 10 years or so ago when he was talking about, you know, um, you know British horror films. And, and, and yeah, he resurrected that term. And basically what we're talking about tonight, Night of the Demon is a good one, is that... Uh, a folk horror story is usually based around folklore um, with usually a rural setting, um, um, some sort of um, involvement of nature and the countryside as well. Um, and also, you know, the actions and beliefs of people um, rather than actually anything actually being proved to be real. Uh, it, it, it's... Um, there's elements of like Val Luton films in folk mm. horror. Um, in many of the films, you're not quite sure uh, whether it was actually true or not. But I think mm. with Night of the Demon or Curse of the Demon, um, you know, yeah, right up front, we know there's a demon, don't we? Right. Yeah, I was thinking about this because we've had a folk horror resurgence in the last few years, at least in America. I mean, we've got The Witch and Midsummer, and um, and these are movies that people are just loving. Um, but the British folk horror and the American folk horror, folk horror are different. There's different kind of flavors and, and all of that. So I've been looking forward to this conversation so much. Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, I mean, um, with, with The Witch, also Blair Witch Project as well. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, um, it, it, it's similarly themed, but an awful lot of the British ones are, you know, the folklore goes back 
centuries upon centuries you know it's keeping on these hidden traditions that only the locals know about you know etc mm. etc et and, and 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 i think it's a peculiarly british thing because you know um you can't go anywhere in britain anywhere you go in britain you're within what what five ten miles there will be something in the landscape that's got some sort of legend or myth associated with it you know whether it's a long barrow or a stone circle uh, a pool of water that that the, the the british countryside is just rife with all this myth and legend and stuff and um a small aside here in, in the 80s i drove down to the southwest of england and uh, i zigzagged my way back home slept in my car and what i was doing was i was visiting all these places that um you know have have myths associated with them whether it's like a pool of water where there's meant to be a dragon asleep at the bottom of it or you know a, a set of um, 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 stones where if if on a particular night of the year if you went around it a certain amount of times you would conjure up satan you know mm. and um, nearby to where i grew up there was a long barrow and um, yeah apparently yeah yeah you can never count the stones uh, the right amount twice the numbers would always change there was always a myth all about this so you know in britain in our culture we have this you know the, 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 this long 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 deep rooted tradition of of the landscape being alive with superstition and folklore and that and you know so yeah it, it is very much a british thing and um you know night of the demon or curse of the demon um um is one that's cited as you know really properly kicking it off i mean the other two are the wicker man and the blood on satan's claw mm -hmm. you've just recently watched the wicker man haven't you oh no no which finder general sorry which finder general oh yeah uh, i did i mean we did recently rewatch the wicker man as well because that that's one of my me and my um oldest child that's one of our favorite horror films like easily top five is the uh, 1973 wicker man and i've I just seen on your facebook you know uh the two of you watched Witchfinder General. Was that the first yeah. time you had seen Witchfinder yes. General? Yes. Yeah. I now I know it. you're a <laughs> I know you're a massive Vincent Price fan and he in that film that is a markedly different yes performance to any other performance he ever did, isn't it? It is and I knew that going in, you know, it had that reputation of being much darker and not an ounce of camp and his performance was praised. And I told my son, I was like, okay, he's going to be a real son of a bitch in this one. And he sure was. It was so good. I, we really liked it. It's not a pleasant film, but it's also not an exploitive film. And we just loved it. Mm, yeah. All right. But um, this is Night of the Demon or Curse of the Demon. Mm -hmm. As I say, you know, it, on, in the US, it was Curse of the Demon. In the UK, it was Night of the Demon. Normally, we, we, we talk about the special effects sequence and, um, and then do behind the scenes. But I thought what we would do today is it's quite a, uh, a, a controversial film. Um, anyone who's ever watched it, you know, uh, they have an opinion of should the demon have actually been put in it mm -hmm. or not and um how effective was the demon if you did see it okay and um there are various you know contradictory tales about you know who was responsible and who denied it and etc 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 so i thought before we talk about you know the actual effects that we're talking about today um 
we'll do behind the scenes first. All right. If that's okay with you. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, uh, the film is based on a book called Casting the Runes, um, one of M.R. James's um, Christmas productions, as he used to call them, uh, ghost stories. M.R. James is very famous for his um, ghost stories. And he wrote this one, Casting the Runes. Um, it was a ghost story to be told to his Cambridge undergraduates in his study. He had their study, which he called the Chit Chat Club. And every Christmas he would write a new ghost story and he would sit them all down and he would read them his new ghost story. All right. And that's Casting the Stones, which he wrote in about 1904, 1905. All right. And it was published in 1911 in one of his anthology books. And for the screen, it was adapted by Charles Bennett. Do you know who Charles Bennett is? No. Charles Bennett was a scriptwriter for Hitchcock. During the uh, 1930s. And um, if you know that, when you watch Night of the Demon, you know, um, it does seem quite Hitchcockian. If you didn't actually have, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the demon effects in it, you know, I mean, we've got a squabbling couple, which is very Hitchcock in the 30s. We've got a climax on a hurtling train at mm. the end. We've got a seance, which is, you know, straight out the man who knew too much. You've got these very eccentric English characters, which Hitchcock delighted in, you know. Um, so, yeah, Charles Bennett wrote it. He updated the tale. He moved it, you know, from like 1905 or whenever it was up to the then modern day 1950s. And as at usual at that time, to seek American backing, you have to have an American star. It's exactly what Hammer had mm. just done with uh, Brian uh, Don Levy for the Quatermass films, you see. So, um, yeah, they bring in Dana Andrews, um, who's a friend of Jacques Tournier, the director. Mm. Yeah. Why, why, why have you got that mmm, Kelly? Oh, he just, um, I just reviewed this film on my letterbox, and the only thing I dinged it for was Dana Andrews. He just, the, the charisma is not there. With, he's one of those, like, cigarette like, guys that I just don't, don't get it. So, no, he was he he was the I love the film, but he was not great. I've seen supporters of Old Dana saying about you know it's his cool detachment, which is really good for that character. But when you know that Dana Andrews was quite the alcoholic at the time, and when he actually arrived in England and the producers went to meet him at Heathrow Airport, he practically fell down the stairs. <laughs> and one of the producers turned to the other and went, is this our leading man? Right. Um, when you know that, it's a bit like O'Brien in the Quatermass films, you know, they were half cut most of the time. And I don't think an awful lot of that is acting in old Dana. I think he's struggling to stay awake a lot of the time. Yeah, I think the the dialogue is so well written. It's so well written because, like, for uh, the twenty five minutes of the film, I was annoyed with his performance. I realized, you know, this is well written character. He's just not pulling it off. And yeah, I I could see him maybe being, you know, ill. You know, being a drunk. You know. Mm hmm. Yep. And um, yep. Um, also, yeah. You know, to get back in from the American backers, you've got to have a love interest. Right. Um, and that's why Peggy Peggy Cummings is in it in the book. It's Harrington's brother who's okay. trying to find out what's going on, but now, now it's Harrington's niece. Uh, they've opened up the story. I mean, in, in, in the book, there's no Stonehenge. Uh, there's no establishing, you, you know, shots at, uh, at Heathrow or anything like that. And, um, yeah, producer Howie Chester, he picked Jacques Tournier 
um, to direct because of uh, Jacques' reputation of working with Val Luton, as I say, you know, uh, or working on the creepy psychological films, you know, like Cat People and I Walk With a Zombie. Um, and uh, yeah, adding, a, I think, a bit to the feel of the film is, is old Jacques Tournier. Um, he responded to this film because he was a firm believer in the occult and witches and ghosts and what, what have you. All right. So there, there we are. They're going to make the film. They're getting it all ready. Um, I didn't realise, um, I'd never really noticed in the credits, but the actual production designer is Ken Adam. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, Ken Adam, I mean, this film, Night of the Demon, is a bit of a watershed moment for Ken Adam because before this, he was designing... He's the Bond. Uh, was that was he the James Bond? He is exactly the okay, James okay. Bond guy. Yeah, I mean, before Night of the Demon, he was designing you know historical ships for the swashbuckling films like the Crimson Pirate mm. and stuff like this. He does Night of the Demon and moves from Night of the Demon straight on to the James Bond films and working with Kubrick on Doctor Strangelove. All right, um, and yeah, it, it's Ken Adam who is responsible for. Not only all those lovely sets of, you know, at Lufford Hall, um, the creepy corridor in the Savoy, uh, the Hobart's farmhouse, the, the reading room at the British Library. I thought, I thought they had filmed that on location, that lovely round reading room at the, uh, uh, at the British Museum. It's not. That was a set. That was actually oh, a set. Yeah. Do you know the urban myths about that room? No. I've been there. I mean, you you go there and it's like it's a it's a very huge room and it's very imposing. It is totally round like that, and you know, and um, yeah, a couple of urban myths uh, about that room is number one, Alistair Crowley, uh, you know, back in the thirties, mm-hmm. the, the 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 British occultist, he reckoned that he had uh, perfected uh, the ability to turn invisible, right. <laughs> Right. And and he knew that because he went to the reading room at the British Museum and he walked naked through it and, and nobody batted an eyelid. <laughs> but apparently nobody looks up in the reading room because they're reading. But he, he seemed to think that he was invisible because nobody looked up at him, you know. Mm-hmm. And the other urban myth about that uh, about that room, and, you know, it's kind of like relevant to what we see in the film, is that there's an urban myth that there are books there which are about witchcraft and summoning demons um, that are just so powerful and so dangerous that you have to have a member of the church with you when you open up and read it. Okay, is that true? It, it's an urban myth. It's mm. not true, but yeah, 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 yeah. For a very long time, this is what people think. Yeah. So yeah, as I say, Ken Adam, you know, he, had, he was given the job of set designing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but he also was given the job of designing the demon, all right? And he objected to that. He w- reckoned that we should only ever see the footprints. We should never actually see what the demon looked like. And how Chester disagreed, had him do sketches based on medieval prints. And uh, the one appearing in the book that Joanna looks at, um, Carswell's mum's opens the book, that, that is Ken Adams' actual original concept sketch. Oh, cool. For what the demon was going to look like. And because of this, um, I mean, Jacques Tournier and Charles Bennett have said, no, the demon was put in after us. We had nothing to do with it. This is the studio interfering after we had made the film and walked away. 
but that's not true because the demon does appear in the original story, right? And in the original script, it's in there because the very first notes from the film censors, the BBFC, after reading the first draft of the script, say, and this is the actual quote, be careful about the fire demon. Don't make it too frightening. Mm. All right. So it, it absolutely was meant to be in there right from the get go. And this whole idea about, you know, oh, it was put in after we had walked away and we had nothing to do with it simply isn't true. Yeah, I feel like that maybe they got a reaction, like people didn't, you know, the demon doesn't look excellent, and so then they kind of disavowed it. I personally am glad they put it in there, to be honest. Hmm. I th- I think what's happened, and, you, you, you know, um, I've, I've seen interviews by people, and it looks like, to me, what's happened is... Jacques Tournier authorized and oversaw the production of the long shot of the demon, right? And at some point, probably Howe said, we need closer shots. So they created the close-up head. And it was after seeing that, that's when Tournier and Burnett started backpedaling. And -hmm. I think that's what they're talking about. When they're saying they had nothing to do with it, I think they're talking about we had nothing to do with these close-ups. Right. Or at the end when, you know, Carswell is picked up and, and, and scratched like that, you know. So, so there we are. That's, that's that part. And also, um, the producers wanted an A certificate, you know, what is now basically a PG. They wanted a PG for it. But the film censors said, no matter what you do, no matter what cuts you make, it's always going to be an X certificate because it's about Satanism with a real demon. All right. And when Hal Chester found out about that, he went for it. He changed the title to, you know, Curse of the Demon and Night of the Demon away from Bewitched. It was originally just called Bewitched. And uh, and boy, didn't he use that demon's head in all the publicities mm-hmm. things. I mean, when, when when the demon arrives in the film, it's not a shock because you've just walked past the poster outside the theater, haven't you? Yeah, I, yeah, we've all seen it by this point, especially. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's about it. I, I, yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, Tournier knew there was going to be a demon in it. I think maybe he was happy with the rod puppet version that you see in the long shots. But yeah, when he saw the big head, I think that's um, <laughs> that, that's when he started. Uh, uh, no, that's nothing to do with me, Gov. Right. All right. right. All right. So, with that bit out the way, let's talk about these special effects that we're going to see. first special effects we see are pretty much at the start of the film because we've got old Harrington going off to see uh, Carswell at that magnificent Lufford Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, nobody, but nobody <laughs> lives in houses like that over here through a subscription service from their um, fellow occultists. Gotcha. You know, Because Carswell says, you know, it's the right. money, it's the donations that we get from our, our people. Now, the only people we really see that support Carswell are the Hobarts on That's that right. farm. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't see how, how he's uh, affording a house like that. 
Um, so Harrington goes to see Carswell and he, he wants something called off. He, he, I want this thing called off, he says. Um, he's heard something, he's seen something, and he believes it's real. And, uh, and he'll call back Holden. We, this is the first mention we get of our hero. He's going to call back Holden, who's coming over to investigate. And uh, there's also mention of uh, being given these runic symbols, um, which are going to become key later. Mm. Um, so Harrington goes home. And, of course, this is all at night time, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. and, and the trees are just illuminated by his car's headlamps. Uh, he locks in his car in the garage, and uh, there we have it. Here we go with our first special effects. So, all right, so the first thing we get is we get these sparks off um, down at the far end of this, you know, avenue of trees. Then an illuminated, like, white smoke cloud starts coming towards him, and then we get this chittering noise. Does that chittering noise remind you of anything? Uh, no. I mean... I yeah, tell me, what is it? I I think I don't know if they have copied it. No, yeah, no, maybe they did. Um, it sounds like the giant ants in them. Oh yeah, uh, th that to me was like a wire, like a like a vibrating sound. But yeah, no, I love the smoke that comes out and the sparks. I love it. I mean, it was it was different to me. Yes, yeah, and I'm fine with that. Right, and then far away and quite small, something approaches. Right, and it moves wrong to be a man, even though it's man-shaped. And you're looking at it, and it's like, what is that? What is that? We see a closer shot, and then we realise that it's like this bat-winged demon breathing smoke and backlit. And at the moment, before we get too close to it, I really like it because you know it it does look demonic, even though mm -hmm. it's black and white. You yeah you, you know you can see the flames coming off of it. Yeah, as I say, it's backlit. It's moving very strangely, and it's not until we see a closer shot that we realise that yes, indeed, we are looking at a rod puppet um, because its legs don't move too right. well. Do it they? almost looks like it's swimming underwater, almost, and its legs are just kind of flopping. So yeah, yeah. It's a bit like when you see Kermit trying to walk or something right, like right. that, because it's the same principle, you know? Um, I mean, if you pause it if, uh, uh, as it's coming towards you, it looks brilliant in a still image, but when it starts moving, it's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, Harrington reverses his car into that, you know, electricity pole, which falls down, and um, and we cut from him being electrified to a very quick clip of this close-up head. The first time we ever see it, it's just a quick clip. Um, and then we see Harrington laying on the floor, and we get this big hoof foot land mm -hmm. next to him. And then we go back to the large head, but the camera stays on it. And I think, I, I, I mean, I, I, I love it. I love that demon head, you know, and, and quite rightly, you, you, you know, the, the, the poster is terrific, you know. It's a terrific design. But I think they, that they stay on it too long. And they've, it's obviously some sort of like rubber because its muzzle starts moving, mm -hmm. but in a very rubbery way, don't yeah, you think? Very puppety, like there's a hand behind it. And, and the demon reaches out with this giant claw, which is mm. kind of scary. But I, I mean, if you were watching this as a kid, I think this would be a very scary scene, as silly as the, as the demon looks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder what children now would think of it. I mean, back then, of course, it was an X certificate, but I, I don't know. Maybe I should uh, get one of my children to watch it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's him gone. Um, mm -hmm. He is dispatched. And 
And this is, I quite, I'm, I'm, I'm not tipping my hat too, too early, but I quite like the effects, but it changes the film, doesn't it? Because if we see the demon at the beginning of the film, we know something that, that, the, oh, yeah, yeah. that the characters don't. You know, it, it stopped being a Val Luton film where it's like, is it real, is it not? We know there's a demon there and That's we're just right. waiting for Holden to be let in on the secret as well, you know? And, and there he is. Along comes Holden, um, the disbeliever, out to expose the cult. Um, meeting the um, Joanna on the thing. That is very Hitchcockian, you know, the squabble on the plane and everything, right. and then they bump into each other. And, uh, yeah, he goes and meets Carswell in that reading room of the British Museum, who slips him a card um, with handwriting that vanishes, um, and there's no sign of it. He, he's convinced that there's writing on this card, and he has it forensically ch checked and everything, and... No, no, there was no writing on it. We don't know until quite near the end that he also slipped him the uh, the parchment with mm -hmm. the runes on it. Um, and uh, he's invited down to see Carswell. I, I love Carswell in that he is the bad guy of the film, but he, he's utterly charming. He lives with his mum and seems to take orders from his mum to some degree, but he's also the head of this, you know, demon-worshipping satanic cult who also entertains children. He's a great villain. I loved, like, from the very first scene, I really liked the dialogue between him and Harrington because it's not quite spelled out. Like, you're you're piecing it together and you're like, you know, what's happened? And when he says, did you, do you still have that parchment? And Harrington says, oh, it burned. And he's like, okay, well, you should probably just go home. Yeah, you go <laughs> like, home now. It's yeah, nearly 10 o'clock. <laughs> he's so sinister. He is so, and like he, he, you know, the first time Holden and Harrington met, or uh, Carswell met is on the phone because Carswell calls him to try to tell him to, um, to not investigate. And then Carswell comes up and in this very sneaky way inserts himself into, like, and I, I just really like the play of this creepy uh, Aleister Crowley type guy and Holden, because I actually like the fact that we know that there's a real element going on because we know that Holden's in danger and Holden is very arrogant and, and mm. he doesn't believe until like five minutes before the end of the film. So I, I really like Carswell and I like the dynamic between the two of them. I love the fact that, as I say, he's a children's entertainer. He's he's Dr. Bobo the Magnificent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was such a good scene because he's in that clown makeup and he has like a serious monologue like for a while wearing that makeup and he's with yeah. the fake with the fake nose yeah like, and when it, he talks it, about shoots and ladders and he says i always like sliding down the snake and holden says oh maybe you're a good loser and he's like i'm really not and it's like man yeah. i just feel like that character was so well fleshed out i just loved him yeah he he is he's being charming but he's also being very threatening yeah isn't he's he? incredibly yeah. creepy yeah loved it yeah there's a change, um, you know, in the film to the book, in that in the book, he, he, he doesn't enjoy, you know, entertaining children like in the film. Mm. He enjoys terrifying children. And at that, at that uh, thing, instead of producing puppies, he produces snakes okay. um, to terrify the children. And that was a big no-no. It, it was taboo at the time. You cannot scare children. Right. So that's why he just produces puppies. But know? he also says that when they're walking under the tree, he says, I can't really show a demon to the kids. That wouldn't that wouldn't um, like it, it, to me. It was like he's indoctrinating these kids for his cult. Right. He wants to. 
Yeah, the classic cult member. He's not going to scare children. He wants to endear himself to them, right? It, it could very well be that's what he is doing. That's why they are there. He says it's a Halloween tradition, and maybe every year he gets more recruits. Yeah, you know? I mean, if you were trying to grow a cult, you would want children to like you. I don't know. I just thought that was great. What, whatever yeah. edit that was of the script, I loved it. Yeah, and he he, produce, he, he proves that he's a, a, a real uh, magician by conjuring up the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, but Holden doesn't believe that mm-hmm. that's it. He's like, I didn't know you had tornadoes in or cyclones in in the UK. Um, that the wind effects, right? They that they achieved that, and um, yeah, Jacques Tournier had to argue with the producers. They actually produced the wind by going to a local airfield and renting these aircraft. And bringing them along, and they just started up the engines. Mm. And the producers would only pay for two engines, two, two uh, aircraft, but Jacques Tournier wanted four. And uh, yeah, so yeah, that that colossal wind is actually produced by four light aircraft just mm. out of shot. <laughs> nice, nice. No wind machines or anything like that. Just go and get a, a couple of aeroplanes. Yeah. And um, yeah, he is charming, uh, but he's menacing because he, he very matter-of-factly says to Holden, um, "You're going to die in three days at ten o'clock." Doesn't mm-hmm. he? You know, he's very precise. After after they've had a somewhat amiable conversation for ten minutes, and he's like, "And, and then you're going to die," like when they're out of earshot of anyone else, he's a creep. Just love him. Yep, yep, yep. And. There, there, there's a couple of instances in this film. Um, I'm not quite sure what's going on. Um, well, actually, we've already had one because, of course, when he first meets Carswell and he finds that card, he looks up and Carswell is walking away. And you've got this strange filter mm-hmm. on the camera. Everything goes shimmery and strange, doesn't it? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got another one here because, yeah, Holden goes back to the, um, to the Savoy He's walking down the corridor, these really creepy-looking corridors, and the chittering noise starts again, doesn't it? Yeah. So I don't know why he's hearing this, because I I, I just assume the chittering is happening as the demon manifests itself. Well, Carswell said he'd be getting disoriented for a few days and getting more fearful, so I I interpret it as he has auditory and visual hallucinations like mm. that's what that shimmer because holden has that um vision a few times where it gets all shimmery yes yeah yeah and um yeah it, it's around that time where he actually finds the parchment in his briefcase doesn't he where mm-hmm. um, um it's been passed on and um we'll skip forward a bit he goes to visit the hobart farm um, these country folks steeped in the old ways, which always, always, this family <laughs> who, who are in this hovel, they always remind me of the villagers in an American werewolf in London. Right. You know, because you, I, I just get the feeling, you know, that whatever, however long there's been a werewolf up on the moors there in American werewolf in London, the, the locals have known about it. For a very long time, and they yeah. just keep it a secret. That's right. Because the... <laughs> when an outsider comes, they don't say shit. <laughs> They're like, they don't say nothing, right? No, and and the, and we've got it here. I mean, that they, they, they clam right up the mm-hmm. Hobart family. Um, they freak out when they see his parchment when he goes to put the uh, the signed letter away from the mother, and they see this parchment and um, and utter he's been chosen. Mm-hmm. So they know what's going on, and they know that he's a dead man walking, don't they? Um, oh, yeah. 
yeah. Now this this film um, does one of these things, which is um, quite funny and quite charming in that. Uh, England seems to be a very, very small place in that he's staying at the Savoy in London, he's a car trip away to the Hobart's farm, and then he's at Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. Um, Stonehenge is nowhere near London, all right? Oh, yeah. I don't see how he got, got there so quickly. Um, it's very sweet as well to watch films from this time um, in that Stonehenge doesn't look like that anymore. Um, back in those days, you could walk up, and walk amongst the stones. You can't now. You've got a bloody great mm-hmm. fence all the way okay. around it and a visitor centre about a quarter of a mile away and nobody is is allowed in at all. Um, so it's quite sweet to actually see a oh, time yeah. where it, it was just in the middle of a in the middle of a field. And it is in the middle of nowhere. You've got a, a big main road about a mile away. Um, but um, it's in the middle of nowhere on Salisbury Plain. But, yeah, unfortunately, you've got this fence all the way around it and a visitor centre and a tourist place. And it's all a bit naff and it kind of like ru- ruins the atmosphere. The only time really to go to Stonehenge and enjoy it is is in like fog mm. where you ca- where you can't see all the modern day rubbish that's around it. Um, but you can't go up and touch it, um, which is a real shame. Did you know, by the way, Stonehenge, th- th- this shows you how the Victorians, you know, didn't have much regard for antiquity. If you were around in Victorian times and went down a Stonehenge, you could pay, a, you know, a few pennies and, and you, you would borrow a chisel and you could go along and you could chisel a bit off and take a bit of Stonehenge <laughs> home with you. Whoops. Can you believe it? Well, wasn't that, in the, wasn't that the plot of Halloween 3? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, also, the real Stonehenge does not have any runic symbols okay. on it. That, 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 that's, that's a bit of plaster or something, you mm-hmm. know, in the studio, all right? Uh, but no, yeah, he finds these runes and they match what's on his parchment. Um, I don't know if that infers that that's where the demon lives then. Maybe yeah, it seems like a asleep. little bit of a padding of the film. I didn't see that. It didn't add much to it, but okay. Yeah. Now, one of my favorite things in this film is the uh, what happens next it's the oh so very british seance mm. with mr meek you mm-hmm. know where you've got these wonderful british character actors in the middle of this you know horror film we have a seance uh with the old bats there singing cherry ripe cherry ripe mm-hmm. <laughs> i love this scene mommy oh mommy oh mommy oh Somebody's poor departed child. I wonder who's. I can't find... I can't find Frederica. She's lost her dog. Joanna. Joanna. It's my uncle. Don't be foolish. Are you there, Joanna? Yes. These things are all fate. But it is my uncle. I know his voice. It's who hurt Mr. Meek. Got to... Got to tell Holden he can't fight it. It's too strong. He means we'll give up the investigation. This is crazy. Carswell has the key. He's translated the old book. The answer is there. No. Look. It's in the trees. It's coming. The demon! It's coming! No! Ah, ah, ah! That does it. Yeah, 
I, it is so eccentric and it is just so charming, you know. And uh, no, it, it is wonderful. And, you know, singing Cherry Ripe, right, Cherry Ripe, because the spirits like it. You know? The the seance was like the only part that was a little comedic, right? I mean, yes, it, was, yeah. it was also a little disturbing, too. And I don't feel like you know... I don't think any of it's real, right? I mean, even though the demon's real, I don't think the seance is real. Um, no, I, no, no. I, I think he's a charlatan. I think right. Mr. Meek is a charlatan. Right. You know, um, you know, Mr. McGregor, Mr. McGregor, his, uh, you know, Scottish friend comes through, and also he, he, he has a an American Indian spirit oh God. guide. Yes, and the yeah. then a child, and then a child, and then I think you know he inadvertently does conjure up the real Harrington mm-hmm. because that is Harrington talking to Joanna. She recognizes uh, the voice, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and and he says, you know, that Carswell has the key. He's translate, translated the book. Now, th- this film isn't especially well known amongst the general public in, in, in this country, but and I, I messaged you a few days ago when Mr. Meek says the line, "It's in the trees, it's coming." A lot of the general public who were around in the '80s know that because that's at the very beginning of a song oh, Kate by, Bush song. by yeah, Kate that's Bush, right. That's right. "The Hounds, Hounds of, of Love." Love. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you know, and that yeah, 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 you know, song as well is all about there's something in the trees coming, you know, and um, yeah. So obviously, Kate Bush was a massive fan of this film. Yeah. Whoops. I just turned the movie on on accident. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I was going to ask that, is this, is this film well known? Because I knew it by reputation, but I didn't know if it was a part of the, of your cultural lexicon or no, if it's kind no. of an oldie that it's kind of like plan nine from outer space. People know about it, but not that many Americans have seen it. No, I tell you what it is. I, I think this is what what it is. Is that you know when they were making this film and when this film came out, Hammer had made Curse of Frankenstein, and uh, that came out almost at exactly the same time. And you know, the, the the huge success of that and all that followed of Hammer kind of like overshadowed these you know the, the, these distinguished black and white intelligent. Gotcha. Horror films like Night of the Eagle and, you know, The Innocents. City of the Dead slash yeah. Hotel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all these kind of films, they were kind of like overlooked. So if anybody talks about, you know, British 50s um, um, horror films, they'll talk about, you know, Curse of Frankenstein more than The Haunting. Mm. You know, they'll talk about the Hammer films, but not, you know, Night of the Demons. So I don't think it's very well known. Am- amongst, you know, horror aficionados, yes. Um, but not the general public, no. no. I also love, like, we haven't talked about the the quote-unquote romance. Basically, our lead starts kind of sexually harassing his the, um, what's-her-face. Joanna. Uh, yeah, Joanna. And, um, you know, it's a very typical type of thing in this kind of movie, right? That, like you said, they had to put the love interest in. But I like the scene in the seance because when um, when Mr. Meek starts to channel the uncle and, and he starts to... Uh, you know, do the uncle like it's in the trees and he's getting killed. Um, Holden gets up. He's pissed. He's like this because it, he he feels protective towards Joanna and he takes her out of the seance. And I just like I mean, we're like two thirds of the way through the film and Holden is still just like this is all fake. You mm-hmm. know, he is completely sure that this is just trickery. And I just I like that. I like the way that was done. 
Yeah. It's interesting to watch Holden and, and try and work out when he starts, yeah. you know, believing, when he starts, you know, to, 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 to open up. I think it's maybe when he goes to Lufford Hall and he breaks in. Um, because, yeah, when you know, he gets attacked by the cat slash jaguar, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, that's a minor demon, according to Carswell, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a little cat that looks like Ian's cat and who turns then into a leopard. Grimalkin, yeah. yeah. Grimalkin, that's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But before that happens, when he, he he climbs in through a window, goes through like the attic, and he's going down the stairs, um, for no reason whatsoever, there's a hand on the stair rail twice with this right. jarring music, but we don't know who that is. No, and like right. the nails look off. Like it doesn't look. It's not Carswell. Like yeah. Now I've read, and I don't know if this is true or not, because as I say, Jacques Tournier was a believer. Um, apparently, that's the hand of a man who was close to death. He only yeah. had like weeks to live or something, and he brought him in and just had him put his hand into the shot. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I've got no response to that either. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah. He, he goes into the study. You know, he, he he checks the book out. Yeah, the cat's there, which turns into like a stuffed leopard by the looks of it that he he, he rustles with, and which is a minor demon. And again, Carswell, it's not like what are you doing here? Get out of here! Da, da, da. He's still quite charming, isn't he? He is quite sanguine. He comes in and. And he's like, why did you drop the poker? And he says, it's, it's hot. And he's like, it's really not. Like, he's just so great. And he picks up the poker. And he's like, oh, yeah, that was a minor demon. Like, he's so snotty. Yes. I love it. Like, you conjure up a minor demon every day, don't you? Exactly. He's very, um, he's like this little guy that wants to, to kind of throw his weight around about his power is great. Yeah. yeah. I, th I think Carswell, he, he's just relaxed because he knows Holden's going to die, doesn't he? He knows yeah. at 10 o'clock on yeah. that day that he's going to die. And um, he actually gives him a warning. He says, don't go back through the woods. I won't go back through the woods if I was you. And, um, and, uh, but no, Holden does. And as the moon goes behind the clouds, you know, the, the, the chittering starts up again. And we get the footsteps in the ground. Ah, oh, so good. Hmm. Mm. I don't know though. I I prefer seeing the demon to the footprints. Oh really? Yeah. How come? I don't know. I don't know. There's there's just something about you know um, footprints appearing you know in the ground like that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I've never been a big fan of it. Well, you probably know how it's done, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've always like how they do that. <laughs> no, it, it, each one of those, it, it's like a foot-shaped, you, you know, uh, horizontal piece of, of wood or whatever, which is on a raised set. And, you, you know, on down, cue, yeah. they pull it down nice. and the sand falls down with it. Yeah, It's very yeah. effective, I have to say. I mean, it looks great. I actually rewound it a couple of times. I was like, oh, it looks pretty good. But you, you like the ghostly spectral demon more than the Yeah, I, I, I like the sparks. I like the, um, you know, the cloud coming towards him. I don't know why it goes away because you think, oh, this is it exactly what happened to Harrington but it comes along scares him a bit and then goes away again but I guess his time's not come yet no it's just messing with him and to me those woods looked real um it looks bigger than a set but I couldn't totally tell um like his breath is fogging up so it's cold if wherever he's at but I you know it's nice little spooky and I like how the um you know you've explained how the foot they make the footsteps but then there's smoke uh, when the when the step goes down, there's smoke that comes out, which looks mm. really good. So I yeah. like the steps. Yeah, it's nifty. It's nifty. Um, next, we've got Holden giving this lecture on on hypnotism, 
um, to the Hobart guy. And well, we've first already... we have the cop scene with the James Masony cop. Oh, and, of course, yes. And Holden, even though Holden was incredibly um, unsettled by the demon and the cat, the jaguar, he he's back on. He's like, no, nah, this is all fake. And he yeah. and um, the, Joanna have a fight again, and she leaves. And you get you, but one of the cops, the James Masony cop, is like he sort of thinks maybe there is something to all of this. And then yes, we go to this uh, the hypnotism. Yeah, because we found out that this that this guy, um, the Hobart, Hobart guy, who I can't watch. I mean, um, anyone in the UK um, um, who watches this film knows this guy. He he played a prison officer called Mr. Barracliffe in Porridge, which was a classic uh, comedy show on BBC in the 1970s. He was a very meek uh, prison officer. And uh, to see him actually in a horror film it, it is really quite odd, you know, because it's so ingrained in your mind that he's Mr. Barracliffe. To actually see him as this, you know, uh, comatose, you know, okay. uh, um, farmer, who we know from when they went, when Holden went to the uh, farmhouse. He's, um, he's charged with murder, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we know it's been something about giving it back. Um, but his brain is shut down. Something's happened to him. He's seen something and he's gone, gone into this catatonic state and they bring him out of it with, with drugs and, and hypnotism. With meth, literal meth. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, oh, yeah. And they've, that, they've got the bit of uh, tubing to tie around his arm, haven't they? It's, <laughs> it, <laughs> they don't do a very good job restraining him as it turns out. No, 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 no. Well, no, he legs it and crashes through the window um but yeah no when he's questioned he admits that he's a satanist and and he has been turned to it by carswell um and holden makes him think about the night of the demon um which is where we get the title of the film from um well it 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 seems that he was given the parchment by his brother. I don't know why his, his brother gave him the part. Oh, I think he meant brother like cult brother, like a member. Oh, not a literal that's, brother. Yeah, that's what I took from it. But I don't know how cults work, but that's what I think. Okay. All right. Well, somebody gave it to him. He knew he, he had been chosen, that his time was up, but somehow snuck it back to the person. And apparently, if you do that, if you give it back to the person who gave it to you, you're off the hook, and they are on the hook. You can't just give it to a stranger. You have to give it back to the person who gave it to you. That's the only way that you can save yourself. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, yep, uh, he, he lunges, he chucks a few things around, and he leaps, and he jumps out the window, and that's mm-hmm. the end of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if so, this was an American film, we wouldn't have two bodies. We would have about 16 bodies by now, but this is the second murder, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So Holden has decided. Do you think Holden's believing at this point? Does he? Is no. This, no? Uh, well, maybe because he chooses to to act on that parchment. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's immediately wants to find Carswell. He decides to give the parchment back to Carswell and, and learns that he's going to be on the 8, 845 train to Southampton. Um, and rushes there, and again, this is very sweet, 1950s London. You can rush around in London because there's no blooming cars anywhere, you know. Um, it's odd to see London with hardly any cars in it. Um, gets on the train, uh, just makes it as it's pulling out. Of course, James Mason has got on. Um, parchment at the ready, 
Um, and Carswell's there. Carswell is not only um, sat there with Joanna, he's been expecting him. He knew that he was going to come along. Um, and Joanna's there hypnotised, isn't she? A mild hip- first stage hypnotism or something. Mm-hmm. And it's six minutes to ten. And um, I love this because, you know, Holden is trying to, you know, get the parchment to Carswell. Carswell isn't accepting anything. That's right. It's <laughs> so good. Him. He yeah. knows that Holden knows that he's got he's got less than, you know, 10 minutes to give this thing back to Carswell. Otherwise, he's doomed. So he won't even accept his book of matches. Or, back. C- or a cigarette out of hold. I love this scene. This is where the Hitchcockian uh, pretty clever writing comes in because uh, the first thing that he tries to give, that Holden tries to give Carswell is a letter. And yes. Uh, Carswell's like, no, thanks. I don't need it. And then he sits down and he gives a cigarette and you're thinking, oh, he's going to get him, you know, but yes, Carswell is completely aware of the danger. And that was just really well done. And it's not until the cops distract him and he still, he won't take the book, right? No, he's no, like, it oh, wasn't my book. The- yeah. yeah it's I not found my book. that. So he still won't, but they <laughs> hand him his, his coat and he like, he's just distracted. Like you would do, you'd be habituated to you'd grab your coat. Oh, that part was so good. That's a brilliant moment because the music comes in and mm-hmm. Carswell's face falls yep. and it's like, you've passed it on, haven't you? <laughs> yes. So good. Yeah. And he's off. He's off chasing after it. Um, it Which it's I don't, un- why? Why would you chase after? You're like, what? I don't get that part. Why bother? You're well, the thing, I, I, I think, it, is it right that the parchment has to catch fire? Oh, maybe that's it. If if so, I didn't catch that. I I just I was like, well, did someone give Carson Carson the um, parchment? And like, why? I don't know. Understand why he was chasing it. But okay, so you're saying that you somehow want to keep it from lighting on fire? Yeah, because huh. I'm thinking about it. I think Harrington at the beginning, you know, he's electrified, so the parchment he had on him that would have burnt. Well, and, the parchment was already burnt. Harrington said, "Oh, I oh, it yeah, already yeah, yeah. burnt." Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's a good point. But yeah, I think that's why he's chasing after it because he doesn't want it to touch the third rail of the tracks and therefore get burnt. Maybe huh. that's what he's up to. It is a bit unfortunate watching it on Blu-ray that you can clearly see the wire okay. that's, pulling, that's pulling the parchment along. Um, yeah, and uh, out onto the tracks he goes, down the tracks he goes, uh, along the track, and there where we have it. Uh, the chittering yep. starts again. We have the smoke cloud. Um, we have the demon from a distance, which is good, apart from the odd walk. We have the massive close-up of its head. I mean, you know, if you were watching that in the cinema, I mean, that that that, that would have dominated. You'd have been like craning your neck to look at the top of it. Um, again, we have another shot of it opening its mouth. Then we go back to the rod puppet. We get a close-up of the rod puppet. Um, the hand goes down to grab him, and this is all fine. I I, I mean, I, I like the rod puppet. I like the, the, the actual head, even though it looks a bit rubbery. But then, as he goes to, you know, pick up Carswell, we've got a new puppet, an odd puppet, um, which seems to have big glowing eyes and doesn't look like the first puppet at all. The, the one that picks Carswell's up and then rips at him and yeah. then drops him. It's a bit odd, that one. Um, so I think there's a second Rob puppet that they built just for the, uh, the picking up of the puppet or the doll of Carswell. Yeah, and you, you, it does look different, and it's it's behind the sort of smoke of the train. 
Mm. Um, and that's where you get a sense of its size when it, right before the scene you're just talking about, when it, it shows the hand reaching down, it's huge. It's just huge, right? Mm. Which the, the footprints behind Holden were smallish. So yes. I was a little confused how big this thing was until the very end when it grabbed Carswell. I mean, you know, yeah, when it grabs Carswell, it's almost Godzilla. Sized, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's the, like a the original Godzilla. Now, yes. Godzilla. Uh, yeah, not now. It's I getting mean, bigger. Not... Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. that scene where it rips him up—that was scary. Because the whatever they're uh, maybe you probably know, but the the man that's flopping around in the hand looks totally real. Like the dummy doesn't look necessarily that, or not the dummy. The puppet's not that real. But Carswell looks really real, and he's flopping around, and it, and it strikes at him. And like, if I was a little kid, that would have been really scary. I I like how you know it's like ripping at him. It, yeah. It's like it's tearing him to shreds, isn't it? Yep. And of course, it, he's we can hear him screaming as well. Just goes right away. It doesn't menace him. It just picks him up and tears him up. It's pretty pretty brutal, really. Yeah. And uh, that's the end of Carswell. Although you know, um, I mean, you know. The police reckon that he was, you know, hit by a train, but he's on the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. Uh, someone goes. Um, I, I really like the end of this film because at the end we have a switch. You know, the believer, Joanna, tells the skeptic Holden it's best not to know. And I like that. You know, he's now a believer, but she who is a believer is saying, no, 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 no. You, know, you don't want to know. And they, and they just walk away. And that's the end of the film. Um, I don't know if with with Carswell's death that's the end of the cult, or if um, you know they the continue going. The cult had two guys in it. I I I wish we could have seen more evidence of the cult because, like you say, you don't see them ever. Uh, no. Nothing, you know, just uh, Hobart. Um, but per, perhaps that's also the, these cult movies lately have a lot of cult members, right? Um, yes. Like uh, Hereditary, you know, there's loads of them. And yeah, maybe I just wanted, you know, a cult of more than two people would have been nice. Yeah, I mean, Midsummer. I mean, it's the whole yeah, uh, exactly. uh, whole town, isn't it? Right. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, um, yeah, and with that, the film is over. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a classic. Um, I, I'm, I'm firmly in the camp of... Yeah, have the demon. Um, I, I I like the demon. I like I like both designs. The the odd one at the end is a bit odd, but uh, no, no, no. I'm I'm guessing you're the same, are you? I am just because. Okay, imagine if you'd never ever ever had it confirmed that it was um, a demon, right? If it was left ambiguous. What? Um, no cloud. Or nothing. Sparks. Like yeah, or maybe some smoke, but kind of it could have been something else. Or it could have been trickery. I, I just feel like we have a lot of those ambiguous. I never like ambiguous films. I rarely like them. I, I actually do like to know um, the answer. So, uh, and as far as the actual way the demon looks, um, yeah, okay, it's not it's not top tier, but it was a bit frightening. And um, I love the sparks and the way it, it comes from a distance. I don't know. So I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the demon. All right. Well, what would you give all the Ooh. effects? Okay. You know, so this is red, rod puppet and giant head and the puppet at the end as well. Okay. And, and the smoke spark and footprints? Uh, yeah, the and the footprints. Okay. Yeah. Given all out the, of 10. Okay. All out, I guess I'd give it a 7. A 7. All right. Okay. Um, I was a bit more generous. I gave it an 8. Okay. All right. I would have gone higher, but that odd puppet at the end and the way the rod puppet at the beginning walks i maybe if they hadn't you know held on a shot for too long 
before you actually saw it properly walking, um, then I, I might have uh, rated it higher. But I gave mm. it an eight, you gave it a seven, so that's seven and a half, all right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if Facebook book was working right now, I'd be able to go and look on our chart on the Facebook page and find out where that is in comparison to other things. But as we're recording today, we have no Facebook, have we? Yeah, kind of a big deal. Facebook and Instagram have been down for hours. It's pretty unusual. It's fantastic. I want to yeah. dig out my old MySpace page. Oh, right, right. <laughs> Resurrect it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's it. That's us done. That's Night of the Demon done. So uh, thanks for coming along for this uh, trip today, Kelly. Yeah, it was a super fun film. I just absolutely loved it. So thank you. I've never, never seen it before. So very cool. All right, we'll have to have you back for another folk horror another Absolutely. time as well. Absolutely, I've, I've given you some links to other things as well, haven't I? That's so, right. And uh, yeah, I'll be putting some up on Facebook. Um, there's a Donald Pleasance advert that I'm going to send you. When Facebook is working again, I'm going to message you a Donald Pleasant, a Donald Pleasance children's advert, which is considered to be folk horror. And well, is it the one where the kid falls into the pond? Or That's like, the one I've sent it to you before, haven't I? Well, no, I've seen... I'm just like, what the... This is in the middle of the day where kids could watch Yeah, that this. was just in an oh advert break. So, you, yeah, you'll be watching Tom and Jerry or something like that, and then you have your advert break, and then you've got Donald Pleasance being death, you know, warning children not to jump in ponds. I am the spirit of dark and lonely water, ready to trap the unwary. The show-off, the fool, and this is the kind of place you'd expect to find me. But no one expects to find me here. It seems too ordinary. But that pool is deep. The boy is showing off. The bank is slippery. The show-offs are easy. But the unwary ones are easier still. This branch is weak. Rotten. It'll never take his way. Only a fool would ignore this. But there's one born every minute. Under the water there are traps. Old cars, bedsteads, weeds, hidden depths. It's the perfect place for an accident. Oh, look, there's someone in the water. Quick, use that big stick to get him out. Sensible children. I have no power over them. Oh, mate, that's a stupid place to swim. Hey, go over and get that thing to wrap him in. You do not feel cold, mate. How long was you in there? Ew, thing. I'll be back. What, was that 80s, early 80s? No, 70s. Or? That's 70s, like mid, yeah. mid, mid-70s, mid you know. Oh, I know we had some of those. And I, I remember Australia had one that was about AIDS. It was really intense. And like, yeah, so there was an era of PSAs that were just over the top. You're like, Oh, my goodness. Like, and, of course, I, 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 the other day I sent you the opening credits to Children of the Stones, which, again, uh, is a children's TV show, 20 past four on ITV, back in about, like, 1976, 77. That that is one of the scariest openings I've ever heard in my life. If you listen to that and close your eyes, yeah. bloody hell, that's freaky. There, there is um, what was that odd, creepy show with Joanna Lumley and Oh, Sapphire um, and Still. Yeah, there is some weird, creepy stuff. That's in the what was the one about the headmaster? The um, 
Oh, oh the demon, the demon head headmaster. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going on there, but I don't think any of that's as terrifying as your puppet shows with, with that rabbit thing. Oh, you're talking about Hartley Hare. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In Pipkins. Yeah. <laughs> there, 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 there seems to be a thing about the macabre in Britain oh in God. the 70s. I mean, even the comedians like Max Wall and stuff like that, they were almost grotesques. You know? Yeah. I yeah. I showed Hartley Hare to my husband. He didn't believe me that it was real. Yeah, like, yeah, that is absolutely, Hartley Hare is absolutely real. Well, my God. Sometime you'll have to, maybe for my birthday, you'll have to let me pick the quintessential American horror film with special effects, and, and, and um, we'll do it from the American oh, perspective. But yeah, I, the, the puppets, the puppets, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Britain. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. All right, cheers for today then, Kelly. All right, thanks, Eric. All right, you mind, there you go. Bye-bye then. It's in the trees. It's coming. When I was